Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast time. I am Brian Olson and my guest today is a publicity strategist, social media expert, and the go-to expert on cancel culture in the digital age. And she is none other than Chris Ruby. Now, Chris is the CEO of Ruby Media Group, an award-winning public relations and social media marketing agency that helps companies leverage the power of content marketing to increase exposure. Now, she's also a trusted media source and frequent on-air commentator on social media, tech trends, and crisis communications, as she frequently speaks on Fox News, CNBC, Good Morning America, and countless other networks. Chris, welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You know, it's my pleasure. And Chris, I have to say our audience has asked repeatedly about PR and media relations. It's such a hot topic. So you're definitely the perfect fit for the show. Your knowledge and experience is going to be greatly appreciated by our audience as many of them are looking to be found in the media. And many of our listeners have sent in questions about marketing, advertising, and PR to results at onebrokencog.com. And I have selected a handful of them for you to provide your knowledge and insight. But before I get into them, I wanted to get your take on the social media landscape as it stands today. So I recently saw you on Cavuto and OAN speaking about Parler, of course, being banned and certain people and groups being banned by Twitter. And so many business owners are unsure of what type of content to post as they don't want to risk getting blocked or losing out on potential customers. So would love for your take on what many refer to as tech tyranny and social media rules of engagement in regards to posting. Yeah, so I think people really need to focus on creating owned content as opposed to only uh, earned content on social platforms. So, so what I mean by that is there's sort of a holistic approach to digital marketing. And I think maybe five years ago, the emphasis was f- uh, sort of only on social media as a way to replace traditional uh, advertising and marketing. Now we've seen that really shift because of the change in the digital media landscape. Of course, we're seeing the rules change all the time with these different tech platforms. Just yesterday, someone said uh, their business posts were removed from LinkedIn, they weren't even clear as to what the reason was or why. So uh, there's never, unfortunately, the, the barometer continues to change in terms of what what you can post and what you can't post. And that that is the challenge with the terms of service and uh, you know what constitutes hate speech on some of these platforms. And because the truth is you're just never really going to know, even though they, they specifically say that they outline it in their handbook, it, 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 you'll never actually know because it changes all the time. So one way that you can get around that is to focus on the content that you are creating that lives on your own website. And other than, of course, your host removing you, like what we saw uh, with AWS and everyone pulling the plug on Parler, which is a whole other component of this story, at least it's on your site versus being hosted on something like a Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, anywhere else. So my advice for anyone listening to this is to really sort of shift or reallocate your marketing spend a little bit. I mean, again, I run a social media and a PR agency. And so for me to say that it is, is pretty, if I'm, if I'm saying that as someone who's in this business and does this for a living, it's something to consider because again, people come to me for social media. And I'm telling those people, well, we can do social media, but that shouldn't be the primary focus of what we're doing. The primary focus should start with the content that you create and own, and then you can use social media as a platform to disseminate it. But the emphasis shouldn't be on uh, social media itself as the message. Do you think these tech platforms have an agenda or are there certain groups out there that is overly paranoid? 
Of course they have an agenda. I think that, you know, we saw this in terms of like too big to fail with that movie a few years ago. And I think that's what we're seeing now. I, I, I think there is a divide. And I think for anyone to say that politics is not at play here, uh, which people say all the time is, is sort of, um, it's just misguided at best, right? And and so it's it's also not helpful for, for people who are really trying to understand what's going on. If there's something called the Google Quality Rater Guidelines, and I always urge people to read this document because if you read it objectively and look at it, Google is very clearly actually telling you, for example, what things they consider quality and what they do not consider quality. And the challenge with even their definitional term of quality is that there's bias baked into that. And, and you know, that is going to be the biggest issue in the next decade, especially when we look at machine learning and AI and whoever controls the algorithm has a level of bias that's baked into them. And so whoever controls the algorithm controls the messaging. And this is why if we really want to combat this issue, you need to make sure there's a diverse group of people from different political perspectives and walks of life creating um, the materials and the rubric of which to measure what quality is and what success is from the get-go. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Now, I know recently Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO of Twitter, was in front of a committee to discuss Twitter's influence on elections and the double standard when it comes to conservative groups. Where do you think we're headed with social media platforms? Do you think that we'll see them change their policies or will government have to step in to regulate? What do you, what do you think? I think government will have to step in to regulate. I mean, I just don't see any other way around this. I mean, we, I've been covering this for, I don't know, over six years now, probably longer, maybe even 10. And it, it, it's still sort of the, the same story, except it's gotten progressively worse every year, you know? And, and so that's, if you look at any one thing in isolation, anyone can say, oh, you know, Trump banned on Twitter, Alex Jones uh, banned from Twitter or Facebook or these, any one thing in isolation, you can go, Okay, fine. Those are things in isolation. That is not the challenge. The challenge is what happens when you look at all of these things together. That's where you start to see the theme of what has actually happened over the past decade with all of this. And again, I understand. I, I can see right if someone looks at Alex Jones and says, "Well, he violated this." It, Alex Jones may have actually violated something. Right. That that's not what I'm here to say. I'm not here to be the arbiter of anyone's conduct or what they posted on this, whether that's Donald Trump or Alex Jones or anyone for that matter. What I am here to say is that whatever guidelines they're going to create has to be equally set forth across the board for anyone using that platform. And the challenge that we have, especially with Twitter, is that largely that hasn't happened, especially for people on the left. It's interesting. Yeah, because I know somebody brought up to me the fact that, you know, you have two groups as an example. You have Antifa and you have the Proud Boys, right? And I think Proud Boys were banned and Antifa is still active. And both of them are known for gaslighting and inciting certain type of violence or, or unrest. Have you heard of something like this where there's a double standard when it comes to one versus the other? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing I think most people are fighting against when they talk about tech tyranny and this this whole battle, that, that is the crux of the problem here. That is the underlying thread behind all of this or the underlying theme, which is that there is one set of rules for the left and another set for the right when it comes to social media. And I think what people really want to see is one set that applies equally to all parties. And I don't think ideally that should not be such an unreasonable request. It's just unfortunate we don't see that happening. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Very, very interesting. Now, speaking of social media and Facebook and Twitter and all these platforms, how important really is Facebook and having a strong social media presence to a business? Is it a nice to have or is it really a need to have? Well, Facebook was always a need to have for every business. Unfortunately, now we're seeing all of these um, changes in terms of what's going to happen with ad blocking and iOS. And sort of over the next probably two years, people are, are pulling some budgets away from Facebook. There was a thread the other day, and I've also talked about this at length with what happens when you get locked out of your ad account, right? This is where, again, this sort of this underlying theme of censorship and these rules, even when you take politics out of it, we're still talking about it. You know, then that's the thing. You may have listeners who say, oh, I don't I, I don't care about politics and what she's saying is irrelevant to my world and my business and Facebook and these platforms are, are there's no double standard. Right. OK, so if let's just go with that for a second. OK, then what do you say when those same people get locked out of their Facebook ad account and they don't even know why or what they did wrong and they have spent a lot of money? trying to market their small business and then they can't get back into their account, right? That directly hurts the small business owner in America. And so at that level, you can't say, you know, to, to sort of, I think people don't realize this until they're actually in that position. And I'm hearing that more and more. And unfortunately, a lot of people are fed up with that experience of saying, I have spent so much money marketing and advertising my business. And now Facebook has told me I've been banned. I can't, I'm locked out. I can't get in my ad account. I don't know what I did wrong, but this is where I've allocated funds for, for Q1 or Q2. And I, I well, so, so Facebook is actually forcing them to take that money and bring it somewhere else. No, it's an interesting perspective. And I know a lot of marketers talk about polarization, you know, in regards to personal brand and marketing, the fact that you should repel potential customers you don't want to work with, and you should obviously embrace the people that you do want to do business with. Now, my question to you is, do you think this is a good technique or should these businesses be wary of losing out on potential revenue or even getting banned in some situations? Yeah. So I look at it a little bit differently. And so if there's marketing advice out there saying you should repel the people you don't want to work with, I don't actually see it that way. I believe that you should share your truth, whatever that version of the truth is for you. And that is what you should be grounded in because that's what you believe. I'm not doing that to try and repel people. I'm just doing it to, to share what I see in my experience. And hopefully that will have a positive impact on the world, right? But I'm not doing it as some market employee to repel other people. And so I, I understand that other people are sort of saying that. But I think that there's a downside to doing that too, right? I don't actually, to be, to be honest with you, I'm happy to work with anyone from any political party. I, I do work with people uh, from sort of all walks of life and, and all political parties, you know? So my goal when I speak is not to repel people. Unfortunately, that may be a byproduct of it, but it's not <laughs> it's not exactly what I'm trying to do. I'm you know, my door is open for anyone that wants to to work with me. but i I will say, you know, one of the things I've talked a lot about is this notion of brand activism, social activism, corporate social responsibility, and the role of CEOs in that, and should CEOs take a stand? And I, I think they're, you know, there's a lot of risk to doing what it is that you're talking about, that marketing advice that's being given. I'll give you a perfect example. When I did, I bought a bundle, a dig, uh, this, I won't, I won't say the name of the bundle so that it doesn't have to be edited out, but it had a bunch of courses in it um, created by women. Uh, one of them last night was, I think it was like makeup for uh, TV and photo makeup. 
I enjoy, I watched the course. I enjoyed the course throughout the course. The instructor kept saying, well, all of you have kids. I mean, she said it easily three times and it really, it offended me and it insulted me. I don't have kids and I'm not a mother. And to sort of say this is, it made me feel bad about myself. Right. I, I was just trying to watch a business course about doing better uh, videos and TV ready makeup. And I walked away feeling somehow bad. Now, was that did she intend to do that? No. Did she intend to do this sort of uh, marketing that you're referring to? I don't know, but it was a byproduct of it. And I, I actually felt like, should I say something to her? You know, I think when we're in a culture right now where we talk so much about inclusivity, and making so many things inclusive. And yet there's major areas of, of, there's gaps of inclusivity that no one ever talks about. One is women who are child-free. And so when you create courses and just assume that everyone has kids when they don't, leaves people out. Another is the amount, the, the large portion of the population that is deaf or, or hard of hearing. And why do I bring that up? Well, we have Clubhouse with a huge valuation right now. But it is not accessible for anyone who is deaf or hard of hearing in the United States or beyond. So how can we, on the one hand, talk about a culture of inclusivity and yet on the other exclude anyone who can't hear from the biggest thing that's happened in social media since I've started my career? I mean, that is just mind blowing to me. So if we're really going to go all in with these things, we need to consider all groups of people in marketing and in messaging. This issue on Clubhouse right now is a big issue. If you go to Twitter, you'll see the heartbreaking tweets of people who can't hear and are saying to the founders of Clubhouse, please make this available for me. I'm deaf and I can't hear. I really want to be able to participate in your platform. It's, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, no, for sure. I appreciate the insight there, Chris. Now, are you ready to take on the few questions sent in from our audience? Sure. All right. Well, so without further ado, question number one comes from Janet from Arlington, Texas. How do I make content marketing work for my small business to increase inbound lead generation? Well, the great news about content marketing is that the first thing you want to do is understand what is the, your user's intent. How can you how can you create the best piece of content on the internet for that particular topic? One of the ways to start with that is to look at the questions that prospects are already asking you. And lucky for you, you probably have a lot of emails in your inbox where people are literally uh, asking you the same questions over and over again. So step one is save all of those in the notepad of your phone or your computer. That's literally what I do and what I encourage clients to do. Step two is then start using free keyword research tools or paid ones and look at how many other related questions there are for that, what that search volume is, and then also look at uh, latent or, or semantically related keywords to those phrases. Step three is write the copy. Step four is then to add those phrases into the answers. And so that is how, that is a sort of a, a condensed fashion of how you can create the best piece of content on the internet. But ultimately, if you're going to create something, it has to be better than what exists. You want to look at what is already ranking for that topic on the first page of Google and look at the format of that content. Are they doing it in an AMA sort of format? Do, have they added in rich schema? Are they appearing uh, in snippets for that content? Is it, for example, is it written sort of like a cookbook format or is it a video that shows up? Whatever format 
is showing up on page one for that is it's ranking for a reason. Uh, one is obviously because they, they've optimized it, but two is because Google is a business and they want to show the best results to users. They want to keep people on that page. They want that stickiness factor. So look at what is already there and create content as a based off of that as a format, obviously create your own content. This other notion of information gain is extremely important. Don't create copycat content. And I know Jeff at Market Muse talks about this a lot, this notion of copycat content and what is that? And it's, it's really article spinning. It's taking content that other people have already written and just rewriting it yourself. You don't want to do that. That doesn't make the internet a better place. You want yeah. to create your own content that really adds a substantial information gain to anyone who is new to that topic. And oddly enough, that's actually the best way to rank. I think that's the part that people really skip. They think that you can hire an SEO and do the first half of what I'm talking about and the content is going to be great. But if you hire an SEO to do all these things, they can't necessarily give information gain if they're not a true subject matter expert. So they can optimize it. They can add the keywords. They can add, they can do rich schema markup. They can do all of these things, but that SEO is not going to give the one thing that you really need and that users need, which is what are you adding to this story and how are you pushing this content forward? And that's where you come in. So my advice to you is that if you're if you're thinking about hiring someone else like myself or, or any other agency to do this for you, you really have to be involved because that's going to be the best way for you to rank. There's a fallacy uh, right now that someone else can just do this for you. And unfortunately, all that does is create a lot of copycat content. Gotcha. No, it's great advice. So Pedro out of Lake Havasu, Arizona asks, does PR really help small businesses grow? Is it, is it necessary? PR is necessary at certain levels of, of every small business. So when you first launch, you should certainly do a ribbon cutting and let people know there there's certain times there's milestones for a small business where you should take advantage of the free press that is afforded to you. Right. So when you have a ribbon cutting, your local press people, of course, you're going to get press for that. Or ideally you should be getting press for that. If, if you're, if you're structuring that the right way. PR, if you PR builds trust, when you talk about the no like trust factor, PR certainly is a critical component of all of that. Also, when we go back to Google and EAT expertise, authority, trustworthiness, you can't fundamentally do that without public relations being baked into that process. That is an important part of ranking that Google is saying when they have quality raters looking at your site, they want to know that you are trusted. Well, how do we, how do we know to trust you? One way is that other people are saying that we should trust you. One way is that other third-party media outlets are saying you're a credible source. How do you get those media outlets? Public relations. So that is the reason why I believe that PR is critical for small businesses. I think that in many ways, would I say the role of traditional PR is critical for small businesses in a way that it was before? No, which is a huge change. I think there's many people who still sort of believe that actually. I don't. I believe that this PR is critical for a small business today for a very different reason than it ever was before, which is that. Google or you know your your website, all of this is going to be your new storefront, and these things work behind the scenes to make that a better user experience and to make the powers that be who make these critical uh, decisions on your behalf trust you more. 
So do I think that you can entirely skip out on that? No. And we had this conversation on Clubhouse the other day, actually, in, in the public relations SEO and content marketing room that I do. We're doing it every Wednesday at five o'clock if people want to tune in and ask questions. But this came up. And one of the things I said is, can you really have a well-rounded SEO campaign or strategy without having PR? And the answer was no. So again, if you really want to rank online, which who doesn't want to rank? Who doesn't want to appear on page one? I mean, do you want to appear on page 10? Probably not. So what do you do to help your business? One thing you can do is get backlinks. One thing you can do is get other people mentioning you and linking back to you. How do you do that? Well, there's the old school way of traditional link building, or there's a new school way of digital PR. So that is, I would say that is the value. And I would also say that PR is this, it's a journey, right? And I think I'm going to start telling people that more and more because sometimes people who hire us for the first time, they think they're going to hire us for a project. They don't realize like this is a, a 10 year journey or beyond that they're on. Look at the people in the news. Look at the guests you see on TV. Notice how you see the same people over and over again on TV. Why do you think that is? It's because they realize this is a journey. It, it's not a sprint. It's, it's because they have dedicated, in many respects, their lives and professional careers to being part of the national conversation around their industry and contributing to it. And that, to me, if you look at that, that is not a PR tactic. It's, it's greater and above that. True PR that has value is something beyond yourself. It's rooted in educating others. And if you can root yourself in that, you'll get pressed forever. Unfortunately, most people don't. They don't take that approach because they think that I just want press for my business now. And those are not really the people that the media wants to give press to because they can tell it. They can see from a mile away that this person is just trying to get you know, free editorial out of us when really they should just be paying for an ad. Right. That is at, at its core, the press serves to inform and educate other people. So if you want to get PR, think about how you can educate people in your community and what you can contribute and focus instead of focusing on marketing, focus on being the best version of yourself, because that that will make you a better source. It will make you a better subject matter expert, and it will make you someone that the media naturally wants to go to to quote for stories. It's awesome. No, it's definitely, it's a process, not an event. Now, great question here from Stephanie out of Virginia. How do I get on TV and how do I get my business quoted in the media and what results will I actually see from this? Well, Stephanie, I started out where I uh, did local TV for probably four years. And that's what I always tell people. If you want to get your business on TV, start locally. So if you have a local News 12, you have a WTNH, you have a Fios. I'm not sure what market you're in, Stephanie, but you really want to make sure, look at what they're covering. Go to their website and follow the format of the stories that they are already doing and what works. So for example, if you go to your local affiliate site, and they are featuring people right now um, who are, whether, whether it's a healthcare hero, something that's happening with COVID, something that's happening with the vaccine. Of course, we are recording this at the time that that exists. However, that's going to, you know, this peg that I'm talking about will change on a daily, weekly, monthly, annual basis. The point is there's only a few sort of story arcs. The, the news will change, but the story arcs never do. So are we highlighting a local hero? 
are we talking about someone who volunteered and contributed X, Y, Z to the community, which resulted in X dollars, right? There's, there's like five stories from a PR perspective that are always recycled. So learn what those story arcs are, see how you can insert your business into those arcs and then peg it to something that's happening in the news. One thing that you can do for that is to develop your own research or a study that actually makes sense where people really want to link back to you and also quote you. You could even do that locally, for example. You could talk about, um, if you're talking about the Paycheck Protection Program and that loan, let's say you are a financial advisor, you could poll people where you are and come up with independent research and present that to the local media and then let them know uh, what your actual opinion is on all of this. So the, the media is one, here's the biggest mistake that I see people making, just so you know. They regurgitate what the media can already find on Google. That is not mm. your job as a source. Your job as a source is to add color to the story, add analysis to the story. You have one job as a source. What is it? To push the story forward. Think about the story like a soccer ball. You are the expert. It is your job to kick the ball forward into the goal. Unfortunately, people dance around the soccer ball. They don't kick it at all. And they stare at the soccer ball. That is not helping anyone. You have to literally kick the ball into the goal. And what, what do I mean by that? You have a strong opinion. They're coming to you for that opinion because ideally you are a true subject matter expert and you have something that they don't, which is deep industry expertise, which can help viewers, listeners, or their audience. So that is what people want from you. Unfortunately, they don't do that. And what they do is they go to Google and they just regurgitate and tell them what they already know. It is their job to tell the viewers in the opening or the lead of a story what's happening. It is your job to tell them what you think of what is happening. No, that makes sense. No, I so love that. I hope that I, so to get on TV, I hope that answers how to get on local TV. Local TV will, if you're good, it will snowball into national TV. And that is really the, the process of getting on TV. So step Step two of that, what is, what's the second part of the question? Uh, what results will I actually see from this? What results will you see from PR? Well, there's different types of results because there's different types of booking. There's podcast booking, there's TV booking, there's traditional PR, and there's digital PR. So in order for me to accurately assess what results someone would, would see for this, one, I need to really understand what their goals are to begin with because KPIs have to measure up with their goals from the get-go. And it also has to measure up with the service that you are getting from that person. But in general, one of the things that I think is most important is some of the invisible metrics that you'll never see as a business owner. And believe me, I know that that's a really hard pill to swallow, especially when you're paying for a service. But again, when we talk about things like ranking and every time I'm getting you mentioned or a, P a publicist is getting you mentioned behind the scenes, I, you may not see it, but your domain authority over time ideally will be building from all of these different things that you are doing when you're building your brand. And unfortunately, that's just not something that you can skip out on. I mean, if you care about having a website that people go to or that people trust in any way or that Google wants to show, that's important. This is important for you to do. For sure. Now, Tony out of Buffalo, New York asks, are PR firms or specific campaigns being affected by cancel culture? Mm, that's a really interesting question. Yes, of course, all the time. So you have to really have this sort of rapid response approach and team. And I wouldn't say, 
I'm not sure that it's the PR campaign that's being affected by it. It's more so the the amount of reputation online reputation management that goes into managing the comment section for uh, people that publicists work with. You know, I, I just think because everyone has a voice now online, someone has to be hired to answer all of that chatter and address all of those user complaints and feedback that come in in real time. And before what we had is that all of that would be addressed to the customer service representative, if you call a hotel, for example, right? Or someone at the front desk. But now the person handling Twitter or Instagram has become your front desk representative. But we have a problem, right? Because a lot of times the agency isn't necessarily trained or equipped with the proper internal knowledge to manage those external facing communications because no one from the client side trained them to begin with to do that. So I think what we need to have happen more, and I've advocated for this for a while, is that if you're going to hire an agency, you need to really understand what the role of an agency is today. And that in many respects, I'm not necessarily saying an agency can replace your front desk, but you need to be realistic that they have become the front desk. And that means that if they are going to be fielding those inquiries for you, you need to give them what they need to succeed in that role so that they can best help you and advocate for you. Nice. I love it. Now, just a couple of questions left here. Now, Giovanni out of Pennsylvania wants to know the difference between advertising and PR. Can you have one without the other and succeed or should they be used in conjunction? I believe you should use both. So as an agency, I will say this, I do uh, public relations. I've always done public relations. I think that's the one area that I think I've really done right. I've, I've never started and stopped PR. It's always been consistent. A- advertising, I think I've started and stopped. I've shifted dollars for that. But when it comes to PR, it's, it was always ongoing. So I think people play around with their budgets. They Year over year, they change where how much they want to allocate or where they want to put that towards. But you really have to look at who is your target audience. And I know it's like, you know, everyone says that, but it actually really is true. So if your target audience is still likes the feel of a newspaper in their hands or a magazine in their hands, you can't afford to skip out on that. However, if you can easily reach that audience on Facebook or some of these other platforms and you won't get locked out of your account, then, then certainly you want, to, you want to consider that as well. There's no blanket answer to can you have one without the, the other because the best advice for your business is always going to be personalized advice to your use case. So uh, Parth out of Brooklyn, New York, I was thinking about purchasing a do-it-yourself course for PR instead of hiring a firm. What is your view on that? No, no, no. Don't do it. <laughs> no. I have very strong views on that. Please go to my my website is rubymediagroup.com. I literally feel like half of what I write on my website talks about why I believe do-it-yourself PR courses hurt business owners more than they help them. Listen, I get it. Everyone wants to create a course and it's cheaper. You know, you can buy a course for $99 and it's way cheaper than hiring someone like me. I get it. It's, it's attracted to the small business owner. And on some level, maybe it will help you. I get that. But here's where people go wrong. They then start pitching the media themselves and they don't realize because there's no buffer between them and the media, they don't realize the magnitude of the the mistake and they can't necessarily fix it. So let me give you an example. We have encountered people who've taken courses like that. And then we're the one, then they call us and say, oh no, I I said all this stuff. I thought it was off the record, or I didn't realize they were actually going to use what I wrote on a Harrow query, a help reporter out query, because you know, they never wrote back and and told me they were using it, or they spelled my company name wrong. They the problem is they have no advocate for them. 
as a PR firm, really at our core, our job is to advocate for you. We are a buffer between the client and the media. I believe everyone deserves to have that buffer and it only serves you, right? It, it helps you in, in, in many regards. So what happens when you remove that buffer? Well, when you remove that buffer and you've never worked with the media before, you start saying all sorts of things that maybe you shouldn't say, or you start asking, for example, you, you ask them, oh, my SEO firm, <laughs> my SEO firm said that you put this URL in the wrong place. Can you link to this anchor text instead of where you link to? And then what happens? The link will be entirely removed because you've annoyed the journalist so much but for even asking them such a, a rookie question. So th these are some of the challenges that happen when people start doing their own PR. And I think that if you're properly trained to do PR, sure, at some point, at some point you can do it. But I have major issues with this across the board and not, and not just with my own industry. It's sort of like if I were to take a course where it teaches me, do your own, do your own accounting. Or for example, if you get audited, like handle your own, like I audit with the IRS, you don't need an accountant. But yes, you do. You <laughs> literally do. Right. That That's why you pay people to do what it is that they do. And so I'm a big advocate and understanding what I know and what I don't know. And, and certainly there's things that we all love to learn. We all love to take these courses. So I think if you want to learn about it and have a base level understanding that that's great. But I do think just like with this IRS example, one wrong move and you can make things pretty bad for yourself. Right. And I think it's the same is true with PR one wrong move with the, with a reporter that you think like you're, you know, so well, who actually owes you nothing, but you don't realize that because you don't work in the industry, you know, and suddenly you're not too happy and you come to someone like me to fix it, to, to clean it up or fix it for you. And sometimes we can't. Sometimes people have buried themselves and they've dug such a big hole that we can't help you. So I just urge people, if you want to take those classes, fine. But when it comes to pitching the media, just think about it like a little bit before you start pitching them. I'm not trying to scare people. Of course, you can you pitch the media at some point? Yes, you can. I'm not saying like I have some, you know, big black magic box behind me that no one can eventually learn how to do this. But I, I will say that I think it's important to respect the art and the craft of what someone does. I say the same thing when it comes to taking photos and photography and, you know, in a blog post, I say, just because you have an iPhone, that doesn't make you a photographer. It's really the, the, the same thing is true here. Yeah, no, it's great. advice. Now, this is a great question from Javier out of Corpus Christi, Texas. Should I hire an actor as the face of my business so I can focus on doing work and not media relations? No. What? No, no, <laughs> no, you should not. What? You should definitely not hire an actor. First of all, like I, I've never, no, you shouldn't hire an actor. I mean, I, that's not the type of PR I do, but that also goes directly against the advice that I just gave you about information gain and SEO and Google and why it's so important when we talk about media relations that you contribute to what is being shared to the media. How can an actor ever really understand or contribute to information gain if they're not a subject matter expert. That's like a doctor saying, should I hire an actor because I'm too busy and I don't want to deal with the media? No, if that's the case, <laughs> then you shouldn't be doing media. There you go. I like it. Do it right or don't do it at all. Okay. And my, this question comes from myself. What's the number one PR mistake companies make that you've seen? Hmm. Well, there are a lot. The number. So here's a tip. This is actually a really good tip that I think people don't realize. When you are responding to Harrow queries, let's talk about plagiarism and what plagiarism means. So plagiarism is not just taking things off Google. Do you know that if you copy and paste an answer you already wrote on a blog post, that's plagiarism? So 
for example, if you wrote something on a blog answering a question and then you said, wait a second, I already answered this. You copy and paste your own blog, not someone else's, but you copy and paste what your answer is and then you give that to a reporter. That is considered duplicate content and plagiarism, even though it's your own writing. That's, I think, a huge mistake that people make. And they don't even understand why that's problematic because they say, I own the content. I've already written the content. But writers are not looking for you to give them content that exists or lives somewhere else. Writers want to attract eyeballs to their work. They want to drive traffic. What they don't want is Google penalties of duplicate content because sources are giving them content that already lives somewhere else on the internet. Nice. So what that means is you need to take the time to really write your own answers from scratch. It's tedious. It's time consuming. Uh, Another mistake people make is that when we look at responding to journalist uh, queries in real time, they take their sweet, precious time and they think, oh, I'll respond to this query maybe tomorrow or five hours from now. At that point, they've already gotten 500 sources. They want the fastest and the best answer. So I think people need to realize that really speed is an important component here. I would also say that I have so much to say other mistakes. Also, maybe we can link to some in the resource section, we can link to some of the articles I've I've written on this specific topic, because I think that would be valuable to listeners because I I, I think I have a list of 10 of them. Nice. (laughs) I don't don't have it right in front of me, but um, I think you really need to have a strategy before you pitch the media. So what does that mean? If you're going to hire a PR firm, you need to make sure you have high-res headshots. You need to have a really good bio. You need to have a website. If you don't have all three of those things, I can't work with you. You need to have that done before you come to me or we're doing it in the first three months of working together. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to pitch the media without you having those things because I know exactly what's going to happen. And they're going to say, where's his headshot? I'm not going to say I don't have a headshot. Like I'm not going to look like a, a fool simply because someone wants to start pitching the media and get hits right away. There is a rhyme. There's an order and process to how things are done. And I think the biggest mistake is that people get really excited and they say, I'm hiring a firm, a PR firm. I want hits right away. I don't want to pay for a strategy. So what happens when you don't pay for a strategy is that you actually bomb the success of your campaign because you don't want to pay for strategy because you couldn't just wait for those two months. You couldn't just do it right. What happens is that will directly impact the results that someone can get you. And I would say that is really the number one mistake. I know it's not fun or sexy to pay for strategy in the beginning, but if you do it right, that can last. I mean, especially for someone who says, I don't have the time to be involved with working with an agency. If you just spend your time up front, you're, the, the ramp up time and, and the, will go down of the time directly proportional to how much you have to spend with that agency in an ongoing capacity. There you go, Chris. It's been awesome. Just have one last question. It's a fun question for you. You're going to be on an island for the rest of your life, okay? You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? <laughs> well, that's interesting. You know, my favorite childhood book was If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Oh, that's and, a good one. And that, so, and I'm very much so still that mouse. The mouse was really never <laughs> satisfied with anything. He always wanted more. <laughs> and I don't think I've changed. <laughs> really? I mean, it's that to me, that mouse is probably an entrepreneur, right? That's the definition of an entrepreneur, no matter what you give them, no matter what they build, they still want more, whether it's more milk, although I don't drink milk, I drink almond milk. I'm against dairy, but um, whether it's a cookie, the cookie's not good. They always want more. They're always striving for perfection. 
So I know that's not like a, a heady business book, but sometimes I think the best books for business owners are things that are like that, where because, because we are so entrenched in heavy literature all day, every day, and in business reading, I actually like books like that, that where they have a common theme and, and that theme helps to bring other issues to light. So maybe that would be the book that I would bring. Great. Now, what about the movie? Oh, I missed that entirely. The movie, I don't know. I like documentaries. I probably wouldn't bring a movie at all. I find movies challenging to TV show, maybe focus on a TV show. Oh, this is a hard one. <laughs> what TV <laughs> show would I bring on an island? Yeah, why not, right? What TV show would you bring? You know, I would bring The A Team. That was one of my favorite shows growing up. That or The Rockford Files. Those are my two favorite shows growing up of all time. So, and I never get bored of them. I don't think I'd bring anything. Um, you know, it's really interesting. I really, I like creating things. I don't like pass. I feel like when I watch TV or any of those things, I'm passively consuming it. And maybe that's just my experience as someone like being on the news. I'm used to creating the news. So I would okay. want to create, I think my answer to this question would be, I'd want a, a camera and something to create content with. So that way I could communicate <laughs> stories to people. You want it your way or the highway? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> now, what about the album? That's my favorite. I don't know. It would be more so of a podcast than music, I guess. But I don't know whose podcast it would be. Maybe it'd be yours. Oh, man. You would probably jump in the ocean and be eaten by sharks <laughs> after, <laughs> after listening to my podcast that many times in a row. Chris, it's been wonderful. How do people get in touch with you, connect with you, learn more about Ruby Media? So you can connect with me at rubymediagroup.com or chrisruby.com. You can connect with me on Twitter at sparklingruby or on Instagram at chrisruby. I also do a clubhouse room. You can follow that clubhouse room, public relations, content marketing, and SEO. We're doing that every uh, Wednesday night at 5 p.m. Eastern. You can bring questions to that. Or if you have more questions, I'm happy to come back as a guest on this show and answer rapid fire PR questions just like we did. I've never done that format before. I have to say it's perfect. And I love it. And so if your listeners have more questions after hearing this episode, I'm happy to do this whenever you'd like me to. You know, we have so many more I didn't get to that uh, maybe a part two is warranted. I'd be happy to. I'm, I'm, I love answering these questions. Awesome, Chris. It's been wonderful. Have an awesome rest of the day. Uh, looking forward to seeing you on the media. I'm going to follow you in the clubhouse myself. And uh, hey, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line.